Heritage Foundation. I'm Michelle Cordero, and this is Heritage Explains. President Donald Trump announced on Monday his nomination of D.C. Circuit Judge Brett Kavanaugh to succeed Justice Anthony Kennedy on the Supreme Court. And just as expected, the battle lines have been drawn. Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer has vowed to oppose Brett Kavanaugh. Well, President Trump, with the nomination of Judge Kavanaugh, has fulfilled or is fulfilling two of his campaign promises. First, to undo women's reproductive freedom. Second, to undo ACA. And so I will oppose him with everything I've got. Meanwhile, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell has promised the confirmation vote would happen this fall. Uh, I know Chairman Grassley believes that we can, he's already said in a statement today that he believes uh, we can work our way through the process in the normal length of time that we did on Gorsuch and Kagan and others and have this uh, nominee in place uh, sometime this fall. So what happens next? How long could the battle to confirm Kavanaugh go on? What real roadblocks could he face? This week, we talked to Elizabeth Slattery, a Heritage Legal Fellow and host of Heritage's SCOTUS 101 podcast about what the confirmation process looks like. Hey, Elizabeth, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. All right. So now that we have the nominee, Judge Brett Kavanaugh, what happens next? So he's today starting to make his rounds at the Senate. He went over with the vice president to to meet with Leader McConnell and others at the Senate. And he will continue, along with his uh, his Sherpa, former Senator John Kyle from Arizona, he'll continue to meet with various senators, uh, basically as many of them as will agree to meet with him uh, up until uh, they start to prepare for the hearing. And when do you think that hearing will be? How long do they usually wait? So the hearing will likely be later this summer, uh, probably late August, if I had to guess. Now, we're hearing a lot about there are just boxes upon boxes of documents that need to be reviewed because, of course, Judge Kavanaugh has been on the D.C. Circuit for 12 years. And before that, he had a a pretty extensive career in government service, serving as the staff secretary to to President Bush, working in the independent counsel's office under Ken Starr during the Clinton administration. So there's a lot of stuff out there that needs to be reviewed. So it could take some time. So you're saying before they actually sit down to have the committee hearing with him, they have things that they have to review prior to that, sort of like the, the senators have to get up to speed. That's right. And they'll also send over a very extensive document of questions that that he'll need to respond to. And there are oftentimes follow up questions that come up uh, as a result of things that are uh, talked about in the hearing. And then the nominee will will be asked to respond in writing after the hearing as well. So that being said, what type of questions do you think they'll be asking him? Well, I think the Democrats are going to ask a lot of questions about specific types of cases, specific issues. I mean, we saw you know, a lot of the Senate uh, Senate Democrats coming out yesterday, uh, last night, uh, tweeting about, you know, different different issues uh, that they think are going to be on the chopping block. So I think they'll be trying to probe him for his specific views and how he's going to rule. Uh, of course, he's going to try to stay away from making any commitments uh, because he wants to be open minded when he uh, becomes a Supreme Court justice. So he's fair and hears both sides of the arguments. Pundits have definitely suggested that Kavanaugh will be harder to get confirmed because he has such a this deep background in D.C. Um, you mentioned some of those things. What can you give me some examples of 
some of those things that might come up that are problematic? Yeah, you know, I I don't think there's going to be anything problematic that comes up. You, you know, he worked for for President Bush for for several years, uh, and, and again, he was in the Independent Counsel's office. Um, you know, so who knows what could come up? I mean, he was working for Bush uh, around the time of the 9-11 attacks. I mean, he talked about that in in his speech uh, Monday night with the president talking about, you know, going on his first date with his wife on September 10th, uh, the day before the the attacks. Um, so there could be some national security things that come up. Um but, you know, I, I think really the confirmation hearing should focus on his record as a judge because his personal views and advice that he provided to the president as, as one of his advisors, one of his legal advisors, is really less relevant uh, than his, his method of approaching the law and, and how he's ruled as a judge. So then aside from senators grilling him on his past as a judge, what other things might create roadblocks to the nomination? Well, there, there's certainly going to be scrutiny from media organizations, uh, from from outside outside groups. Uh, we we saw a lot of these groups, you know, protesting at the Supreme Court at the steps uh, while his nomination was being announced, and you know they had their uh, stop, fill in the blank signs ready to go, filling in. Okay, we got to write Kavanaugh because that's who we want to stop now. Um, and you know, and going back to uh, going all the way back to to Robert Bork's hearing. Uh, in the in the, ni- the mid 1980s, I mean, we had you know reporters digging through his trash and and going to the video store, you know, the blockbuster that that people used to use before Netflix to see what type of movies he was he was taking out. Uh, so I think we'll certainly see that sort of media scrutiny. I mean, we've already seen it in the nomination process. Supreme Court nominations receive the most attention and can become very controversial. In fact, nearly one quarter of Supreme Court nominees were ultimately not confirmed. Robert Bork is one of the most famous. Here's Marsha Coyle of the National Law Journal talking to PBS about this process and Robert Bork. Probably people would be surprised to learn, Hari, that judicial nominees did not appear before the Senate Judiciary Committee uh, until the late 1950s. Uh, That's when we started having them appear and have public hearings. I would say probably the nomination of Robert Bork was the major turning point in how we have hearings today. Coyle also explains how special interest groups became a part of the process with Bork. We also saw with his nomination an intensification and an intensifying of special interest group involvement in confirmation hearings. I believe it was 17 special interest groups that came to the Senate Judiciary Committee and testified against Robert Bork. And that was only inside the hearing, outside of the hearing. There were television ads, uh, uh, special interest newsletters. Uh, It just generated a firestorm of controversy. In fact, the term borked or borking was even added to the Merriam-Webster Dictionary as a verb and is defined as an attack or defeat of a nominee or candidate for public office, unfairly through an organized campaign of harsh public criticism or vilification. So, Elizabeth, we know the game has changed a lot since Robert Bork over the past 30 years, but how long could this confirmation process last? 
Well, Mitch McConnell has said that this is going to get done in the fall. Uh, so I think a, a vote uh, to confirm is likely to, to occur sometime by the end of September. And then after, you know, he's grilled from all the senators and the committee hearing, what happens after that? So after the, the committee hearing, then uh, the Judiciary Committee would have a vote whether to report him out to the full Senate. And then the full Senate would have the opportunity to debate and discuss the nomination and then uh, ultimately vote to confirm or not to confirm. What does the what does it look like in the Senate right now? How many votes does he need? Well, it's a razor thin majority that the Republicans have with 51 votes. And of course, Senator John McCain, um, who has been ailing, he has not been in Washington. Um, although I would point out that uh, I saw that he put out a statement last night supporting Judge Kavanaugh. So that was encouraging to hear. So much like the confirmation vote for Neil Gorsuch, Kavanaugh's confirmation could come down to just really a handful of votes. Yes, I think I think that's very likely. There are, of course, some red state Democrats who are up for re-election. Uh, they're in Trump country, so they're really going to have to think closely about what their constituents, what they want, uh, and, and how they cast their vote. Elizabeth, I watched you on Fox News the other day, and you predicted that President Trump would pick Brett Kavanaugh. That being said, if you had to predict what would happen next in this process, what do you think is going to happen? I think we're going to see a lot of howling from the left. But ultimately, we're going to have a new justice in time for the Supreme Court to come back in October. Thank you so much. Thanks. And that's it for this episode of Heritage Explains. If you like today's podcast, I highly recommend you check out SCOTUS 101, Elizabeth's podcast. Also, if you haven't already, please subscribe to Heritage Explains wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll see you next week. Heritage Explains is produced by Michelle Cordero and Tim Desher with editing by Thalia Rampersad.